Hi there, and welcome to Make the Shift. I'm your host, the CEO of Makeshift, Adam Greenberg. As we wind down for the year, I find myself reflecting on what we've collectively been living through. To say our personal and professional lives have changed immensely would be an understatement. We've witnessed an incredible amount of transformation in the last two years. Now, transformation can happen by choice or can be forced upon us by situations that are simply out of our control. And a large part of what we've been living through lately, I think would fall into the latter category. With so much change and transformation packed into such a short time frame, we're all feeling a little burnt out. And so today, I've invited someone who can help us find the answers. Dr. Steve Hunt, the chief expert of technology and work at one of the world's largest tech companies. It's a company that I greatly admire, SAP. Ready to dive into the world of human and organizational psychology? I'm excited. Let's go. Hey, Steve. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Make the Shift. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Hey, man, it's good to see you again. I, I always, I've always enjoyed working with you and, and we don't get a lot of time to chat. So I'm really, uh, really glad you accepted the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. I know it's a nice, it's a nice way to sort of end the, the year on a reflective kind of casual conversation about what's going on and what should we do next. Right. And there's, I mean, there's so many topics that, that uh, we could talk about. Um, but before we jump in, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I have. A, I always joke, you know, I'm the chief expert for work in technology. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? It's like, I wasn't always a chief expert. Once I was a junior expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, my, my work is really kind of, uh, well, I find it fascinating. Uh, my PhD is in a field called industrial organizational psychology, which is not clinical psychology. It's the psychology of work. It's understanding how do you create effective work environments? How do you support development, performance? How do you make effective decisions about people like hiring and pay, things like that. And my job at SAP has involved looking at how to use technology to create more effective work environments, but also increasingly looking at how technology is changing the work environments we need to create. Uh, you know, so if you think about how we do things like find jobs or communicate or in this world of Zoom, you know, we rely extensively on technology for everything. And so it's like, how does this actually affect work and how can we use technology to make work better? Uh, that's fascinating. I know that you've written about this in the past as well. Um, one, maybe two books even. I have. I'm glad you asked that question. I'm writing a third book. I've written a book called Hiring Success, which is about using technology to match people to jobs. And I wrote a book called Common Sense Talent Management, which is about looking, it's not just about technology, but it's broadly about how to effectively manage people, motivate people, things like that. And all my work is rooted in a combination of you know, psychology primarily, technology, and also I've worked with thousands, literally at this point, thousands of companies around the world. And the book that I'm writing right now <clears throat> is a result of the work that I do, which is I spend a lot of time talking to companies in all industries around the world about how do we use technology to address these different challenges. And so the book talks about what's going on in the world. The book's called Talent Tectonics. And I use the phrase talent tectonics because it refers to there's some fundamental shifts that are altering the nature of work. 
And a lot of the things that we're having, like remote work as an example, are reaction to things that have actually been going on for a long time. Yeah. And the, and the two big shifts are <clears throat> the digitalization of everything, which is the world gets more digital. What it does is it really accelerates the pace of change more than anything else. Whatever people are doing in the job right now, they're not going to be doing the same thing three years from now. It's, you know, even if they don't change jobs, the nature of the job is going to change significantly. And the other, you know, and so digitalization does that. It also creates much more of a demand for specialized skills and changes the nature of work. And the other one is demographics, which is in a lot of countries where basically there are more people leaving the labor market than entering it because we haven't been having children for the last like 100 years. Mm -hmm. And that's driving all kinds of changes in terms of labor scarcity. It makes them far more important to have inclusive practices. So the book talks about this stuff. Well, actually, that's that's very topical. Um... Because, you know, with the whole work from home and even at makeshift, we moved from an office environment to a work from home environment, largely forced upon us by the pandemic. Um, you know, the customers we serve uh, are shift workers. And we're finding now that even in the professional services field, people are becoming shift workers in, the, in, in that they, they work from home, but they have certain hours they have to keep because that's when their customers are working or they come in the office sometimes, but because of of occupancy rules, they they have to have a shift at the office, and and it's it's fascinating to see what's what's happening, and and uh, it's interesting to be at the forefront of that in a, in a few different areas. And then, you know, technology also. You know, one might think, well, working from home, it should be a better pace. Maybe you're more relaxed, more time. But but I have to admit, I mean, I woke up this morning feeling feeling pretty burnt out, and. Um, it, it, you know, sometimes the technology and the work from home is actually you're working. You seem like you're working more and you're on more. Yeah, I think <clears throat> so. There's a couple of things that go on. One, one, I, I start in the book that I'm writing about. I start in the basic psychology of people, which is to say, if you look at the cycle, the one thing that is not changing about the world of work is organizations are composed of people who come together to use shared resources to achieve common goals. That's what an organization is. It's an organization of people. And people, despite all of the very ageist stuff about millennials are like this and Gen Z is like that, which <laughs> I find repelling because it is both wrong and it's really, really ageist. It, you know, it's not good to lump people into demographic categories and make generalizations about them. You don't need Agreed. to have a PhD to know that's a bad right. thing. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But the thing about people is the basic psychology of people hasn't changed. We don't evolve that fast. The things that make us happy, the things that make us fulfilled, they're the same things now that they were for our great-grandparents. What changes is the economic conditions, our expectations that we will get them, and how we go about getting them. And work has a huge impact on our happiness in a variety of different ways. What is changing, though, is we're realizing that we need to work differently than we did in the past. And I'll use remote work as a great example of this. Um, the way we were working before the pandemic was not the healthiest way to work. It was familiar, so people could have learned to adapt to it, but familiar doesn't mean effective. And this is, you know, this is a good example. This book talks about this, but if you look at like, a office building, people forget an office building is a form of technology. It mm -hmm. is a tool that was built to bring people together, to communicate, to get work done. 
And it was designed and invented in the 18th century, taking into account the communication technology available in the 18th century. Wow. If we had always had Zoom and the internet, we never would have had office buildings the way we used them. But what happened is they built them, we got comfortable using them, and we just kept using them over and over again. And then somehow people thought, oh, work involves commuting like lemmings every day into an <laughs> office, working the exact same schedule as though we're all exactly the same. It took a pandemic for us to realize technology is advanced, we don't need to work this way anymore. And so, yes, it's created stress, but the psych, you know, the research across the board is people, everyone prefers the flexibility of working from home. That doesn't mean everyone wants to work from home, but everyone wants to have that decision to decide what makes sense for them. I joke, it's called freedom. People like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't want to just go into work to go into work. But what's happening now is we haven't figured out how to adjust to this new way of working. In general, it's much better. It's just like smartphones. We'd all love smartphones, but we all know they also create a lot of problems. Right. It doesn't mean we want to get rid of them, but we need to realize we need to learn that there is a healthy and an unhealthy way to use this technology. And that's where we are right now. And actually, that's what my book talks a lot about. Actually, that's a, a really great um, point, and and we're seeing we're seeing now rules around when you can email people, when you can have your phone on, um, and I mean again here at Makeshift, right? We talk about, and you just mentioned this. You talked about flexibility. We talk about the three F's for happier employees: mm -hmm. flexibility, fit, and fun. And for years, tech companies specifically, I want to go to tech companies having worked for one and, and worked for SAP as well, which is where we met. Mm -hmm. Great company. But for years, tech companies invested in their workspaces, game rooms and sleep pods and fancy coffee stations and, and other, other similar perks. I mean, we, even, even at Makeshift, we, as, which is a small company, we had a beautiful office overlooking Victoria's waterfront. Um, but as I mentioned, we had, to, we had to move to a work from home in a hybrid work environment in order to keep our people safe. Um, and now they don't want to return to the office. And mm -hmm. personally, I'm okay with that. But but we do struggle with making work fun. How, how do we make work fun again without this common space? Yeah, let me, let me answer that. And then I want to come back to what Makeshift does because I think it's another really positive thing about the changing nature of technology. But on, on the making work fun and the remote work, um, one of the things that we need to realize is what we've been living... Well, I guess two things. One, remote work is new to a lot of people. It's not new. Right. There's a lot of research on remote work. I personally worked remotely for 15 plus years. I mean, Same. it. Same. yeah. So, <clears throat> but what we are struggling with now is what we've had for the last, you know, two years or so has not been normal remote work. It's been physical isolation. It hasn't been done to improve employee experience. It's been done to keep people safe. Now, right. what's interesting is despite that, it has improved employee experience, you know, but there's huge differences too, which we've also seen is how people experience remote work. There's a good study by Qualtrics that 60% of people said it's better, 40% of people said it's worse. So we got to be careful we don't look at averages because it has a lot to do with your home environment, the kind of work you do. But in general, what people love is the flexibility of it. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that we that is an important part of remote work, getting to the fun part, is a healthy part of remote work environments is coming together in person periodically. It right. becomes more important. And I use the example that I use for a lot of companies. If you want to look at a part of your company that may have done this and figured it out, look at your sales force. 
In a lot of companies, the sales forces have always worked remote, but they bring the salespeople together for quarterly business reviews. But the main, I would argue the main value of a quarterly business review is not the going over the numbers. It's these people that are working in isolation, getting a chance to hang out with other people that do what they do, have a couple, well, salespeople have a lot of drinks. <laughs> Can you just say but, you, you know, could lump people together based on Yeah, the- I'm sorry. I'm making sense. I'm, I'm doing the very thing. <laughs> but it's true. I, I've been there. It's true. <laughs> not all salespeople. But no, of course um, not. But the, uh, but the, the, you know, the, but the point is, and Adam, you've worked in sales too. Those yeah. QBRs are a energizing event because you're getting 100%. together people. You're making that human connection. And, the, and research bears this out. When you look at virtual teams that just getting together periodically creates a new energy and it changes the way you work remotely. And even in your people's personal life, look at, look at relationships with your family members and friends. Most of us have family members that we might only see once a year, or once every other year, but that short meeting re-energizes that relationship. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, I kind of joke and I, I don't know if it's like we have to smell each other's pheromones or something. I don't know, but there's, <laughs> there is some, it's Christmas. There's some magic that happens when people get together in person, but you don't it's have to true. do it very often. Oh, you're you're right. And in I used to look forward to those. I mean, I used to dread some of the QBRs depending on the leader at the time and how they would handle it. But I also used to really look forward to it because it was that opportunity to get together, to bond, to have a little bit of fun and to get to know each other uh, outside of a screen or a phone. Mm-hmm. What about like culture? I mean, I know you, we've written extensively and talked extensively about culture. Uh, I've got strong opinions, whether culture is bottom up or top down, but, but culture and specifically bonding. I mean, how do we, how do we build it, change it, um, evolve it without, you know, without the water cooler, without the Friday happy hour at the, at the local bar? First of all, I want to dispel a myth of the water cooler. There was research done looking at people working in offices and they found is these, quote, water cooler conversations almost never happened. Mm. If somebody sat more than about 50 feet away from you, you rarely interacted with them. And when you did, it wasn't to have some brilliant work insight. It was like, hey, how are you doing? Good. Nice to see you. It, right. You know. Um, so what we need to do, do though, and there's a, there's a blog that I wrote on this called a mindful return to work. What we need to do is we need to be much more mindful about making sure we do get together and have interactions. Mm. And that's that point about, I don't think companies have realized yet that we need to bring people together much more intentionally than we did before. And employees want that. What they don't want is being told to go to a building just to go to a building. I joke, that's not work, that's incarceration. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but we do want to get together and connect. And I think this is something that companies haven't adjusted to yet. They haven't figured out that we need to start bringing the people together, just like good sales leaders bring their sales teams together. And when you come together, having that focus on the interaction. Now, it doesn't mean you don't do work, but the interaction is really important. Um, but this more broadly, what this gets into is that creates a sense of connection and belonging. And people are interested when we're under, people are actually really good at dealing with change. If we're confident we have the tools to deal with it, we understand the reason for it. And we feel part of a group Mm. that there's people that care about us, that want us to be successful. And that sense of belonging actually became the most important driver for engagement. 
in the last year. It's always been important, but it used to be the biggest thing in engagement was challenging work and recognition. Belonging became the biggest driver based on some of the studies that were done. And I think that is that point you're saying that we, we want more of a connection. So how do you create a sense of belonging? Well, one, if you can bring people together to interact, that has a very powerful effect. Um, the other is listen to people, spend time chatting to people. Um, I think both using technology to like, you know, the listening technology, but also just having those chats, getting together, you know, uh, allowing time in calls to chat, which has been an interesting change. You know, you and I started this call. We just joked around. Right. Because we didn't talk for each other. We re we real established that sense of, hey, we're, we're people that like each other. At least I like you, Adam. I think you like me. I like you too. Man. <laughs> Thank you. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone people. Like <laughs> I am a psychologist. <laughs> but the... um. <clears throat> But finding ways to create that, and I think where it's some of this hardest is when you're adding new employees where mm. they don't have those connections. So looking for events and activities that are small enough where people can spend time just chatting. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a change. And it's interesting too, because as a remote worker, we, I've done this for years because I don't have the water cooler. It's been interesting watching my colleagues that worked in offices <clears throat> realizing Part of a conference call doesn't have to be boring. The first five minutes can be funny. Yeah. You know? For sure. I, I mean, makeshift, we, we recently got together um, right in the middle when the, the you know, pandemic seemed to be flattened out and restrictions were lifted and we were encouraged even to get back together again by local governments. And we went to an area and of course we adhered to all, all the rules, but we, for the first time, uh, our, our team got together ever and got to meet each other. I mean, it's a young company. We started off as a mobile app company. One of the mobile apps was, was uh, scheduling for, for nurses and it mm -hmm. took off. And so then the company, you know, we spun off a division and became makeshift, started to do business as makeshift. And, you know, and then the pandemic came and things really quieted down and the company was really just like other businesses mm -hmm. really trying to survive. Um, you know, I came along and, and we started to invest again and we built the company. Many of the employees were brand new and trying to create that connection was very difficult. And so we decided to get together and it made a huge, huge difference uh, to creating connection, to creating bond. And we started to build a, a culture that uh, today we're all very, very proud of. Yeah. Well, I think that is that, that very intentional to say we're going to do what's in some cases harder work to bring people together to come together. And again, it doesn't have to happen very often. That one meeting that you had really positively affected the culture of the organization. Big time. Um, you know, and so I think that's one of the things to look at and finding other ways to do these connections overall. I do want to comment on what makeshift does because I think sure. people don't realize that if you look at what freedom is, it's the ability to decide where we want to be and when we want to be there. Correct. Remote work is giving us freedom over the where we want to be. Yeah. The other big freedom is the when, which is what makeshift does. And I think this is another really good example that doesn't get talked about enough. But what's also happening with sort of this realization that we should we were not using technology to its full potential before the pandemic to rethink work. We were yeah. just going through what we always did because it was familiar. We blew it up on physical location, but now on temporal time location. This is also happening, which is really positive. On um, one thing, companies are increasingly telling people the biggest problem for professional workers who don't work shifts 
is they're working too much mm -hmm. because they don't have that temporal cue of it's five, I stop working, right? And so companies are increasingly telling employees when they don't want them to work which is really interesting and, and you know, a lot of well-being and you need to take breaks, you need to be mindful and really teaching people how to self-manage in a world where you don't have the physical cue of a commute. They don't turn mm -hmm. the lights off on you. You've got to turn them off on yourself. So that's what's happening professionally. But in the shift work world, which you guys are a key part of this, is companies' ability to give employees much more control over their own shifts. If you look at one of the biggest frustrations of a lot of shift work, especially if you have family care responsibilities, it's balancing the work schedule with your life schedule. And it right. used to be everyone, because of because of technology limitations, you know, we did everything off Excel spreadsheets, there was no way companies could have people individualize the shift so that my shift all work kind of this funky set of hours and you'll work this. And so everyone was forced to conform to the exact same shift yeah. because that made it easy for the company, even though it created a lousy experience for the employees. Technology has now created the ability so that people have much more ability to control their schedules, which is giving people control over their time is literally giving them control over their lives. People don't think of it this way. But it's a massive transformation in the quality and experience of work for people. But the biggest barrier to it is leaders of companies giving up that control. Because I've heard leaders say, well, I like coming to the office and everyone being around me. It's like, well, that's not their purpose <laughs> is not to make you feel good. <laughs> it's not about you, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know. um, I'm, I'm glad you, you raised that because, you know, one of our prior guests on this podcast was uh, a guy named Steven Shedletsky, and he is he works for Simon Sinek, Inc. So he's one of the brand igniters, a really, really bright guy. Again, just like you, someone I greatly admire. Um, and, and he talks a lot about the why of work versus the what of work. And I, I know that, you know, Simon's written a book on it and, and that you talk about this as well. And that was really the focus of our of our get together in, in September for the makeshift team was we know what we do. We we mm -hmm. make employee scheduling easier for, you know, the shift worker and, and the management team. But mm -hmm. why? And and I was I was blown away at what we came up with, which was, you know, we, we exist to give people time back to focus on other things that matter. I mean, work matters, but so do a lot of other things. Um, the, the statistics say that you know, 90, the, the number one issue affecting mental health and well-being for shift workers is like you just said, control over their schedule. And that's yeah. something that we, we help with and we're proud of that. Which is huge. And it's funny, it's the, the why of working. I actually have a podcast. You mentioned the name of it, Work Matters. I have a podcast called Work Matters. And the reason I created this podcast, and actually the reason, I, my what drives the why of work for me is that work has a massive impact on our happiness as people. The research shows the three things that impact the happiness of people, and again, this is all people, is our health, obviously, the relation, and it's probably the relationships actually have the biggest impact. Relationships, yeah. our health, and how we spend our time, which is for most people work. But work also affects the first two. It affects our relationships. It affects our health. And so improving the quality of work is critical just to improving the quality of people's lives. It's like, I like to say, better work environments create better world environments. And what is happening, and again, going back to that book, Talent Tectonics, is 
the technology has been steadily shifting like the plates below the earth for a long time. If you look at remote work, it was like an earthquake where suddenly we caught up to where the technology was. But there are mm -hmm. so many other places where if we embrace the technology, like what Makeshift is doing, what SAP is building, what other companies, there's a lot out there. We can create a world where people don't have to go to work. They get to go to work because they wake up each morning and say, how can I do something that's going to make me feel like I'm living a fulfilled and enriched life? And this isn't Pollyannish stuff. It's about aligning what employees want to do with their lives with companies need. And more often than not, you can't align those things, but it requires flexibility and technology Technology gives that flexibility. Indeed. I love that quote. It reminds me of when we ha our daughter was a newborn and she was like colicky, screaming all the time. And 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 uh, I said to my wife, well, I have to go to work now. And she said, no, you get to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it's, you know, it's fascinating, but, and, and, you know, I, I know we're doing some things well, and I mean, we collectively business, business leaders, uh, especially right now, we're doing some things well, and, and there's room for improvement, but as we look to the future, you know, it's, it's December the 21st, uh, we're, we're wrapping up the year here. And again, thank you for, for taking some of your time at the end of the year to, mm -hmm. to chat with us. But as we look to 2022, what are the three top three, it could be one, one to three kind of key trends that you believe is going to define the future of work? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question to ask on the 21st, which is, you know, traditionally the shortest day of the year when we celebrate the sun returning. Um, right. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. The world right. will renew the circle of life. Um, so the, I think the big things, I think one is what you've been hitting on, which is um, companies will increasingly focus on employee experience and making sure that, that how we experience work is positive, that we feel engaged and supported. And this isn't just about burnout and attraction. It's also because the nature of work has changed. Mm. Um, technology automates the repetitive parts of work. And the repetitive parts of work are the least human. They're coming in and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Even if it's a really complex like project management, it still can start to feel like I'm just doing the same thing. Mm. So companies increasingly, as technology automates that, what we're employing people to do is to be creative, collaborative, service oriented. Well, you can't do those things effectively if you don't feel good internally. Mm. You know, you can come in and say, show up and shovel that coal and people can do it. You can't say, come in and be creative. Mm. You know, it's right. the psychological state people feel internally has a huge impact on the quality of the work they do. And this includes service jobs. There's a concept in psychology called emotional labor, that it's very hard to provide pleasant, good customer service if you feel stressed, bad, unfairly treated. And so and then so that's that's critical for the business. But on top of that, now in the labor market, the good news, too, for employees is if you're treated crappy, you can get another job. Yeah. You know, which is great. It forces companies to up their game. Nobody should have to work in a lousy job because they can't find another job. Right. You know, I couldn't agree is, more. You know, I agree. So it's like, I would love to get in a world where the only people who work in lousy jobs are the people that want to work in lousy jobs. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's my dream. But I think, um, so companies are recognizing this not because of a better social value, but because they realize it's critical for their business. And by the way, it is good for them too. But so, so that's a positive, much more focus on employee experience, using technology and other tools to create more of it. I think that that's probably the biggest. The other is I think we're going to see companies really start to redesign themselves for this new world. Mm -hmm. We're going to rethink 
where companies are located, how jobs are designed. As we get out of this more flexible world that we can say, hey, we can design jobs where people share jobs. They do combinations of jobs. Mm. We don't have to have people just fit into boxes like the way we did. So I think you see a lot more flexibility around job design. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the one that I hope happens because it needs to happen is we need to get much stronger links between the systems companies use to manage people and the systems they use to manage the business. So if you look at something like scheduling, scheduling has a huge impact on customer satisfaction. I'm certain of it. 100%. And there's research that has done it that shows it does. But we don't have technology set up that allows us to tell how it's having an impact in the moment. Mm. And I think because you've got to link HR systems to business systems. I often say that um, if you look at the field of HR technology, almost none of the, virtually none of the solutions actually measure the true value of people. Because the true value of people doesn't come from having them be engaged and not quit. It comes from them driving sales, profit, things like that. That's not measured in HR systems. And so we need to link those data together because the best employee experiences come from working for successful companies. You know, and it's not, employee experience is not about putting the needs of the employee above the company. It's about creating e e equality and a true partnership. The challenge is, frankly, it's hard to do that sometimes because we don't really understand how the management of people impacts the performance of business. We could. Yeah. Be, so. Br brilliantly said. And, and, you know, again, one of the reasons I admire SAP is they're a leader in this in this space. I mean, there's no other other company out there that's that's connecting, you know, kind of operational data and operational systems with experience data and experience systems, which mm -hmm. is what what you're referring to. And 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 for makeshift, we want to be a part of that uh, as well. And and so we're we're working really, really hard. We're we're now approved a partner for the SAP App Center. We're working very hard uh, and diligently on the integration so that we can be a part of that uh, that future of work and and think we have a lot to offer. Yeah, I, I'll just share with an example the power of when we can do this thing. One of our customers, call center customers, so similar to the workforces you work with, and the head of talent had done research and said, well, the longer people stay, the better they get at customer service and closure rates and things like that, more experience, but people tend to quit and because of pay. And he did the hard work of the analysis and went in and showed hey, we should pay people more, but it's, cur it's, it's curvilinear, right? There's an optimal amount, but went into the CFO and successfully made the case why they should pay significantly above market rates because not because it affected retention, but because it affected retention, which in turn affected customer sales. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the ROI was not an HR thing like turnover. The ROI was actual business performance, but for the employees, they got a massive raise not because they asked for it, but because it made sense. Mm. That's where we need to get to. Happier employees create happier customers and happier happier employees create growth. Yes, but there's, and it's, yeah, exactly. But then there's the cost of happiness. So you have to, this optimum, you know, that that's the challenge is yeah. how much can we invest in people and still keep the company? And I think what we're finding is we need to invest far more in people, but, we need to not overpromise that investment because at the end of the day, I do stress this, there's no good employee experience coming from working for a financially struggling company.
Indeed. Good employee experiences come from good companies. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. I know we're just hitting to the uh, to the top of the hour. I promised we'd we'd uh, respect that time period that you've uh, so generously mm -hmm. shared with us. It's always great catching up with you, man. Have have a really wonderful Christmas, and uh, and I hope to actually see you in person yes. sometime yeah. in the new year. I sure hope so. Yeah, for sure. And you as well have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for doing the show and this podcast. And thanks for doing the cool work that you do at Makeshift. It does, you know, it affects people's lives. And that's what gets me energized about this field. So, all right. Thanks. Same. Thanks, Steve. And that brings us to the end of our show today and our final podcast for 2021. The final thought I'd like to ask all of you is to take some time to reflect and recharge. Remember that making the shift starts with you. So from all of us at Makeshift and from my family to yours, happy holidays. <laughs>